couple of things I want to mention to you as, as we get started. Number one, if you're visiting with us or you've been here for a while and you, and, or you just never have been through our starting point class, we started it this morning and meet for the next six or eight weeks. And we're doing it at 8.30 in the morning, right in room six, right on the other side of that wall. And starting point basically will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Christ Church, who we are, where we came from, what we believe, uh, how do we, uh, why do we have elder form of government, what is that, what is a conservative evangelical church, who are we, and uh, Scott Helvey teaches that, Scott is here somewhere, back row as always, he'll get saved one day and come up front, then he'll be an even better teacher. So, Scott will be here afterwards back here in Mary's Cove as we call it, and but if you miss Scott, you could see me. And you're welcome. We, we would love to have you join that class. It doesn't mean you're joining the church. It simply means you're going through this class to see if this would, you would like this to be your church home. And, and it will answer a lot of questions for you. So uh, it meets on Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, just see Scott. You can get signed. Or you can just show up. You better let him know so he can have curriculum for you. So again, uh, started this week. But really, you can jump in next week and be fine. And... If you miss Scott, you can see me. I'll be out in the parking lot or in the lobby if you're interested. Okay. The um, next three weeks, I'm going to do something kind of different for me. I hope it, uh, you find it beneficial. We're going to kind of look at Easter from a little different perspective leading up to Easter Sunday, which is when? Two weeks, thank you. The 16th. We will have two services that morning, one at 9.15 and one at this one at 10.50. So, Easter Sunday morning. Normally, people who don't come to church regularly would come at which hour, do you think? Probably 10.50. Two years ago, it was reversed for some reason. I don't know why that happens, but anyway. If, if you could come to the 915 service, that would help a lot. Uh, just find out if you're working or helping, just whatever your schedule might be. But we're going to have a service at 915. We've got to clear the parking lot. Have another one at 1050 on the 16th. So if you'll mark that down, you don't have daylight savings time to worry about. We already made that mistake a few weeks ago. So mark it down on the 16th. You've got 915 or 1050. Decide which one you're coming to. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5 if you haven't done that already. I've really enjoyed spending some time looking at this passage and some others leading up to Easter. And this little mini-series that we're doing, if you'll notice on your handout, says Easter is the promise of resurrection. And the Bible, there is a translation of the Bible where, in, where Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, Jesus is, or Christ is our Easter. And the literal of that is, Christ is our Passover. So, Jesus of Nazareth was a human being. That was his name. Jesus bar Joseph, son of Joseph and Mary. Jesus of Nazareth was his name. Christ was his title. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, Savior. He was the promised one from eternity past who would come and redeem man of his sins. In the Garden of Eden, after original sin, God said to Satan, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush your head. 
that's what happened at Calvary and the ensuing resurrection, that Jesus was the promised one. When the children of Israel were delivered from bondage in Egypt, God established as they left in Exodus 12, and you can read, as they leave Egypt, the last plague on Egypt, Pharaoh finally sets them free, was the plague of the death angel that did what? The houses that had the blood on the door, what did the death angel do? It passed over. And so God established for the Jewish people his called out ones, the, his children. He established for them a memorial, everlasting celebration called Passover. That when God delivered them from bondage and set them free, and they were headed where? To the promised land. And I'm not real smart, but I see a picture here. I see a pattern. Jesus is our Passover, Paul then writes to the church. And the point is this. Everything that you see, types of Christ, throughout the Old Testament are pictures, symbols, types of what Jesus of Nazareth would be when he came as the Christ. He is the anointed one, unique, only one. He, there is no one else in history who could do or has done what he did because he wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth. 100% man, but he was also the Christ, 100% God. So at Christmas, what do we celebrate? The incarnation. We say Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And in John 1, the great prologue to that gospel, John writes these words. In the beginning was the word, and it means the eternal logos, the eternal, self-existent one. Before there was time, in the beginning means before there was time, there was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, eternal, self-existent one. Then in verse 14 of that prologue, prologue, John says this, the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the Father which is eternal, the self-existent glory of God. We beheld it in the person of Jesus of Nazareth because he was also the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And, and you see evidences of that throughout the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, when Jesus says things like this to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. He, remember he had told Moses, my name is, I am, I am, I just are. If he lived in the South, he would have said, I are. I just exist. I am the only self-existent thing in the universe. Angels are created beings. The universe was created by the Word, we're told in Scripture. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. The reason we follow Jesus Christ is that he's not just another guy who started a religion. He's God in the flesh who took our place, became the substitutionary atoning sacrifice at Calvary, the propitiation that satisfied God's demand for the sin debt to be paid. And then he rose from the dead and conquered our one enemy that nobody else could conquer. No matter how much money, power, elite army you've got, the one enemy man could never conquer, Jesus conquered when he rose from the dead. And that enemy was death. The Bible calls it the last enemy. He conquered it. So we don't have to fear eternity because Jesus bought us paradise back 
which Adam lost. Now you know all of history and all the Bible. Goodbye. <laughs> That's it. What's so exciting about what we celebrated Easter is that it all just comes together at that incredible moment when Jesus died. About a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I had to go to uh, Baptist in Collierville. There's a hospice behind there, and I went to visit a guy. And, and, and I've been there a couple of times, but I never, it wasn't there like this when I was there before. And as you drive around to the back to the hospice place behind the Baptist, and you need to do this just between now and Easter, just, it's a very moving moment. As you turn that, uh, that corner, and as you head up the hill, they've got this giant grassy hill that they've built up. I assume they built it. It may have already been there naturally. And on it, they've got three crosses. I mean, it's moving. I just stopped in my car and just stared at it. I thought, what a picture. What a great place to do a Bible study. It's let's all get on the hill, and as you're looking at those crosses, let's study crucifixion. Let's study what we're looking at today. Let's think about the resurrection. Because on that hill called Mount Calvary, on that hill of Golgotha, which was a public thoroughfare where the Romans crucified the dregs and their enemies, to say to everyone, hey, don't mess with Rome, God conquered sin and death. God said it is finished. God destroyed the enemy forever. And he did it for one simple reason. He loves us. And we couldn't do it for ourselves. For God so loved the world that he gave. So what I want to do, what I want to do today is begin to look at this idea in 2 Corinthians 5, the series, Easter is the Promise of Resurrection. The first thing we're going to look at is that Easter gives us the promise that we have a home, a resurrection home. When we go to funerals, and I officiate at a lot of funerals, when it's the funeral of a believer, what's the one focus over and over in those funerals? That person went where? Home. That this is not our home. We are here, which we're going to see, we're here temporarily, but we're going home. Paul put it this way in Philippians. We are citizens of heaven. We are here on furlough for God. We're here on vacation for God. But one day we will go home. Different days, different times, different ages. We don't know when that will be. But what we do know is that we will go home. This is not our home. And so the way, when you go on vacation, I know it's particularly now that good weather is hitting, most of you will spend half your summer at Pickwick or Gulf Shores. Now those are nice places. I love both. But you always do what at the end of that time? What do you do? You go back home. Somebody asked me the other day, because I love going to Destin. I love playing golf down there. I just like being down there. Someone said, why don't you just retire and move down there? And I said, oh, you going to pay for it. <laughs> but then I said, you know, I, I would love to be down there. But let's just say I was independently wealthy and I could do that. I still wouldn't go. Why? Because this is my home. This is where people I love. I love what I do. I love being able to share the word of God with people and and be impactful, leave a legacy, be, do something important with your life, being involved in the lives of others. doesn't mean you have to be a preacher to do that, but this is where I get the chance to do that. And it's also where my grandchildren are. Now, unless they're all packing up and going to Destin, guess what? We'll be right here, because I love being a grandfather. I also love being a pastor. I love being a friend. I, lo I love life. 
because I understand what it's all about. Jesus gave me that. That's his gift to us. So let's look at this for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the theme and the context of this passage, as Paul begins to write, because we're going to see it in a little bit in chapter 4, transitioning into chapter 5. What Paul does is he looks around him, and he had a tough life at this moment in time as he writes. He looks around at all the difficult things that he's going through, including daily death threats. Daily death threats from the Jews and from others. He thought he was going to die at any moment. He was, you know, he'd be left for shipwrecked. He shipwrecked. He'd been bit by poisonous snakes. He'd been beaten and left for dead. Uh, stone, all kinds of things. And he looks around him at all the difficult circumstances, and here's the theme. Quote, we do not lose heart. I would, I might lose heart after that fifth beating, third or fourth poisonous snake, being left shipwrecked. I might lose a little heart. The Apostle Paul says, we do not lose heart. And notice, let's look at the context. Chapter 4, chapter 4, not 5, verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Mercy means God has shown to you grace and given to you something you don't deserve. That's grace. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. What do you deserve as a sinner? You deserve hell. He gave that to Jesus instead. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And if nothing else, it gives you meaning, hope, purpose every day. You know love because you know Calvary. You know, when I stopped the other day behind Baptist Hospital and just looked at that hill, and I thought, that's a, all I need to say is God loves you. That's what that hill said to me. God loves you. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. He just loves you because you are. So Paul says, we've been given a ministry, all of us, every believer, we've been given a ministry and opportunities to serve. And so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because we've been shown mercy. We understand mercy. We want to share mercy with other people. Look at verse 8, same chapter. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. All of these things, but we're not going to let it beat us down. We're not going to let it put us in despair. All of the difficulties, persecution, being forsaken, not, not understanding everything, but we're not going to let it destroy us. We're not going to let it put us in despair. We're not going to get down. We're going to focus because we have ministry. We know mercy. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised us up, the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There it is again. Even though our outward man is perishing, our bodies. The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, please don't miss that. It's, it's, it's almost humorous, but it is so profound. Notice, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We do not look at the things which are seen around us, but at the things which are not seen, the eternal. For the things which are seen are temporary, Things which are not seen are eternal. Back to verse 17 for a moment. This light affliction. Again, his light affliction that he's referring to is being bit by poison snakes, being forsaken, being beaten, being stoned, being, uh, people trying to kill him on a daily basis. He calls that a light affliction. 
I call a light affliction a sinus infection. He calls it death threats in peril of my life on a daily basis. That's a light affliction. So he says, we've got these incredible things so we don't lose heart. One more time, verse 1, we have a ministry. Verse 17, our light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 7, we have this treasure. We have a ministry. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's us. We're the earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Inside us is this incredible treasure. You know what the treasure is in the context? Is that we've been shown mercy. We understand mercy. We understand grace. We understand the gospel. And so since we have that and understand that inside us, we don't worry about what's around us. We want other people to know what's inside us, who we are spiritually, where we came from, what God has done for us, where he's placed us, how he saved us, how he's given us. It's not only an inheritance, we'll see that later, but right now, what we have in Christ, we have ministry, we have this treasure, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. We have the same spirit of faith that, that the saints in the Old Testament had and the patriarchs and the prophets, and the word means attitude, attitude. We have this attitude of faith in us. No, I can't see Jesus, but I know what he's done. I can't see the Holy Spirit, but I know he's here. I can't see God, but I know he's proven himself to be the God who is there. We have that attitude, that spirit of faith, and so we want that to come out. We want others to see that, know that, and realize what we have. Ministry, treasure, spirit of faith. And then finally, chapter 5, verse 1, which is what we're going to look at today. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, chapter 5, verse 1, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Because we have ministry and treasure and the spirit of faith, and a, we have, we understand, we have a building from God. We have, <clears throat> pardon me, all these things. Why? Very simply, the entire world will celebrate in two weeks the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul writes to this same church. Earlier, he'd written to this same church these words. If Christ is not risen from the dead, I'm going to paraphrase. If Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith is futile, meaningless. We are still in our sins. And we are of all people most to be pitied because we're following a lie. And then he pauses. And probably the greatest verse in the Bible says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That wasn't a paraphrase, that was a quote. God says to us, but now Christ is risen from the dead. So we have treasure, we have ministry. We also have, chapter 5, verse 1, we have a building made with eternal hands, not temporal. So what I want to do this week and next week is look at the twos that we have. Because Christ rose from the dead, I want you to look at the, the dichotomy of the twos that we have. Number one, verse one, we have two dwellings. Two dwellings. We don't lose heart. Verse one, chapter five, verse one, for we know. 
We do not lose heart, for we know. That means in the original language, it's a fixed reality. Kind of like having a fixed bill. That, you, you, whatever your mortgage is, it's your mortgage. It's a fixed reality. You owe this. That's what for we know means. It's a fixed reality in our consciousness as believers. We do not lose heart because we know this. We don't wish for it to be true. We don't think that it's true. We know. It's a fixed certainty reality. We have something that only believers in Jesus Christ have. We have, we know life and death truth principles. So here's what we know about. We have two dwellings. Number one, we have an earthly tent. Verse one. But we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we also have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. The word if. We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. That if means when. In other words, some of you are young and very healthy. Some of you are young, look really, some of you are a little older and don't look quite as healthy as some of the younger folks do. Like some of us are old like me and have conditions. It's not if this tent's going to be destroyed, it's when. It's when. I don't know when, but what do I know? It's a fixed reality. This is going to happen. He, the writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man wants to die. Joshua and Dave, throughout the Old Testament, you see this phrase, I go the way of all the earth. Not some of the earth, all the earth. So there's going to come a time when my earthly tent is destroyed. And that's this word tent here, this earthly house, means your physical structure in which you are right now, even though it's a tent. We'll talk about that in a moment. That it's inevitable that your body will be destroyed. I love the metaphor of a tent. How many of you currently live in a tent? <laughs> Bill does. If we're in a tent, we're in it for how long usually? As short a time as possible. My wife, for example, has never been in a tent. And she will never be in a tent. We were in a tent one time. We went to the Akoi River to go whitewater rafting. And I love the whitewater raft. After I did it the first time, I spit on every canoe I saw after that. So we went to the Akoi River, and we're camping out. We know, we're going to go whitewater rafting. And it's just, I mean, it's a, after we set up the, the camp, we get all our tents. Everybody's in their tent. And I'm on a chase lounge. That's what I was sleeping on. I, even now, my back hurts thinking about it. And it's pouring down rain. After we get the camp set, it just starts just that's, uh, Chris Ellison got his vision that night for what he calls the condo. And from that point forward, he and I slept in a trailer that he made. It's a beautiful thing. You look out the window and everybody else, it's their tent, it's raining, and you're in the condo. It's a beautiful thing. It's pouring down rain all night. Well, in, in our wisdom, we had put our tents at the bottom of a hill. <laughs> you could tell I was involved, right? I literally woke up in the middle of the night and turned over. Now, I'm in a chase lounge. I turned over, my face was underwater. And I decided, I'm getting up. So we got up. We were, oh, everybody was crying. I mean, it was, it was just nasty. I had brought one deck of cards with me because I don't go anywhere without a deck of cards. And we sat up all night. Under, we, we just took what we could and built a little awning, had a picnic table there. And we sat up all night and, and played a game called Knock. Some of you uh, I've taught to play that game, and you love it. We just sat there and played cards because you couldn't sleep. You couldn't sleep. And we looked at those tents and we thought, what? 
Now, I've been in many tents. Even after that, I got in some tents because we took kids camping. But it's not my desire, is it? When you think tent, what do you think? Temporary. You think, it's really interesting Paul writes this because by trade, Paul made tents. As he was the apostle called by Jesus the apostle of the Gentiles, but his, his, his craft was he was a tent maker. It's fascinating that God used that through him because obviously, would Paul know a little bit about tents? Clearly, that's what he did for a living. He made them. So a, temp, a tent is a weak, temporary dwelling place. It's not real beautiful that you're drawn to it. For example, you take the lot that your house is on, and let's say your house was destroyed. It's not there anymore, and you just wanted to sell the land. Are you going to get as much for it? Let's put a nice tent on it. Is that really going to increase the value? It's the building, that, that the beautiful house that you have that increases the value and makes people want to buy it. A tent is a weak, temporary dwelling place. It's not beautiful. It's uncomfortable. The ones that I've been in, they sag, they leak, you get cold or you get hot. It, it's literally, the literal original language here means something that's fragile, transitory, with no foundation. So it says, if this is destroyed, and I love this picture here because it's so beautiful. Verse 1, he says, if or when our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have something else. You know what the word destroyed means? And it's such a beautiful metaphor. In Greek, here's what the word destroyed means. You're carrying this heavy burden on your back with these straps over your shoulder, and you loosen the straps and you drop it. That's what the word destroyed means. So when that, my burden in this tent is done, I just drop. Jesus said, come unto me, laboring heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. We talk about when a believer dies, they go to their eternal rest, reward, home. You drop that burden, whatever you're carrying, and, Jesus, and you go home and Jesus welcomes you. Because you're home. You're home. You put the tent aside. And the picture is our earthly bodies are going to be destroyed. But we're set free when that occurs. Because where do we go? The rest of the verse. But we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a heavenly building. I know it says body on your handout. That was my mistake. It should have been building. We have a heavenly building, which is also going to be a body. We will talk more about that. We have. It is our current possession right now, not future tense verb, present tense verb. We have. It is ours, God says. It's a building from God, not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. And the picture here is it's a permanent structure built by God himself waiting for you. Wow. Wouldn't you be glad God built your house instead of, say, Randy? Because how many mistakes does God make? For just a moment, I want you to think. I'm going to quote a passage that you're very familiar with, but I want to make sure you get the setting because it fits so well here. It's the last night Jesus is on earth. He's in the upper room with the 11 guys that are going to carry on after he's gone. They are terrified. They do not want him to go. They do not understand. He keeps saying, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Why does he say that over and over? Uh, because their hearts were troubled. So John 14, that great chapter in the middle of the upper room discourse, Jesus says these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? That's the next part. Believe also in me. Now, he then says this, 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What an incredible promise. That's what this is talking about. Jesus said, I'm going away. They did not want him to go away. He had to go away to pay for their sins. But he also told them in that same chapter, by the way, that same night, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to take care of you, boy. It's, it's my paraphrase. It's going to be all right. So here's what he says. I'm going away. And here's what I'm going to do after I'm gone. I'm going to get your place ready. Because in my Father's house are many, that same quote, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Old translations say mansions. There are many dwelling places. I'm going to get yours ready. Your specific one for you. I'm going to get yours ready. Then I'm going to come back and get you. And then we're going to go there and we're going to be there together for all eternity. You have the promise of the Son of God on that. Here's what he says. I'm going away. I'm going to get your heavenly building ready. And then you're going to come, I'm going to come back and get you. And we're going to be together. The promise. What do I know about my tent? And by the way, the older I get, the more I know this about my tent. Just a matter of time till what? Like my left ankle just now, just about went out. It's gone. Just a matter of time till this body it needs to be loosened, drop the burden. I don't know when, if, I just know when. I don't know when, excuse me. I just know it is going to. But I also know the moment that happens, Paul also wrote to this same church, absent from the body is where? Present with the Lord. That's where I will be. That's where I'm going. That's my home. So, yeah, I'm going to drop my tent. When I was in the Okoe River, what could I not wait to do? Get out of that tent and get where? Anywhere. A car. Anywhere. I got to go. I, I just got to go home. I need to be in my bed, not this chase lounge. I, I, I went out of my tent. And he even talks about this. We'll talk more about this next week, about us groaning sometimes in our bodies. So we have a permanent structure. Look at verse 1 again. We have a building from God, eternal. House not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's, by the way, go back to the context, we know that. That's a fixed reality. All right, one more thing we're going to look at today and then we're going to be done. Look at verse 2. We not only have two dwellings, we also have two outfits. Two outfits. Verse 2. For in this we groan, our current outfit, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed, since having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So what you see here is he uses, now he transitions to another metaphor. So they will understand. He's been talking about two dwellings, a tent and a heavenly building. Now he's going to talk about two outfits or a metaphor of clothing. So he says there's three pictures of clothing here. Number one, in verse two, you could be clothed. That means in the tent you were in right now. This is your current clothing, is your, the, your earthly body. You are alive on earth in that tent. That's your clothing. Second, in verse two, 
You could be found naked, and that simply means dead. You're in the eternal state. You're out of your tent, verse 3. Then verse 4, it says, we desire to be further clothed. We had clothing on earth, then we die. But then we get further clothing, and that means you're going to get a new, glorified, heavenly body. There's two things you know about your earthly clothes in this passage. Verse 2, for in this we groan. In this we groan. It's a burden. It's a weight that we're carrying on earth. It's mortal. Look at verse 4. We are in this tent groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, not because of that, but further clothed. In other words, none of us are sitting around going, I really want to be dead. But as believers, we understand, I want to get that new heavenly body. Because your glorified heavenly body built for heavenly living, how much pain does it have in it? None. You don't have to worry about your back. You don't have to worry about your cardiological problems. You don't have to worry about cancer. You don't worry about there is no, that place. There is no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no mourning, no death, no sin, no issues. Your body is built for eternal living. Jesus said, you will be like me. We all want that, desire that. We got what we got now, and we glorify God in this tent. But our real desire is to one day get that heavenly, that glorified body. We don't think about being dead. We don't want to be dead. But we also know when we are dead, what we have. So death doesn't bother us. That's why Ecclesiastes, every funeral I do, I share that verse. Is that the day of one's death, if you're a believer, is better than the day of one's birth. Because you go home and you're further clothed. Your earthly clothes are a burden. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we've been raised to new life in Christ. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. First fruits, that means the, that's the, the beginning of the harvest. When Jesus rose from the dead, we quoted that verse earlier. He's the first fruits. We're in the church age. Sweet picture this morning. She gets baptized. Somebody else has entered into the harvest. First fruits, you just keep reaping the harvest, you keep reaping the harvest. Jesus rose from the dead, we keep reaping the harvest, and then one day he's going to come back. We who have, are part of the first fruits, we eagerly wait for the adoption because we want our heavenly clothes. It's our earnest desire. We want that new body that's immortal. Look at verse 3 again. If indeed... And the emphasis in the original language and the if indeed is, since this is true, we will get new bodies. We won't be found naked. We'll get new bodies, not just spirits out there somewhere floating around. We get new bodies, glorified, heavenly bodies. Buddhists believe the following. This is what Buddha said about life and death. Quote, the goal of man is to reach nirvana or the state of the snuffed-out candle. Really something to look forward to, isn't it? It's not what Jesus Christ said. He said the following, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You ain't got to be a snuffed-out candle, please. 
We are created in the image of God. We're the highest, we're the pinnacle of all creation in the universe. Nothing else is created in the image of God except us. Jesus didn't die for dogs and cats. I'm not against dogs. Well, I am against cats, but I love dogs. He didn't become a dog. He didn't become a cat. He didn't become an ape. He didn't become another animal. What did he become? A human being. He stepped out. We talked about it last week, the great kenosis, self-emptying. He stepped into space and time to become a man, to die in our place. He didn't become an angel. He became a man. We are God's most loved creatures because we are creating his image. We emote, we think, we, we create, we have intellect. Nothing else has that. And to think that when you die, that's it, Number one, it's stupid. And number two, it just doesn't fit the facts. We are spiritual beings. You know you are. What makes you unique? It's not your body, it's what? It's what's on the inside that makes you unique, different, even identical twins. They may look exactly the same on the outside, but they're different, aren't they? Internally. That's why this is so important. To understand we're getting a new body. That when you die, it's not the end. It's not the end. Our desires be further clothed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, tremendous pastor, Lutheran pastor in World War II. We're going we're gonna to end with this story today. I want to do something else. We're going to end with this story today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II was a Lutheran pastor, and he went to the United States to escape Adolf Hitler and all that was going on in the late 30s. And he was convicted that he needed to go back, and he was from Austria, and he needed to go back and see what he could do to fight the Nazi horror. And he goes back, and he joins up with a group that's going to try to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And he's a Lutheran pastor. Well, Obviously, it failed, and he gets arrested, and he's in a German concentration camp. In the concentration camp, Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, which I have in my office, one of the greatest books ever written about following Jesus Christ. In that German concentration camp, he's leading the, the prisoners and even some of the Nazi soldiers to the Lord, and he's leading some of the prisoners in worship on a daily basis. And they all knew that... If, that when the stormtrooper would come in and, say, and call out your name, if they came in and said, Prisoner Lockley, you knew you were going to the gas chamber. Get up. It was your time. So they're having their worship service one day, and the guard walks in and says, Prisoner Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stands up. He knows he's going to the gas chamber. The ovens, they all know it. This is his last moment on earth. As he's walking out, to go with the, the soldier, to be put in the oven, to be gassed to death. He leans down and says to one of the men, this is not the end. This is the beginning. He got it, didn't he? You see, Jesus rose from the dead so we would understand life does not end at the grave. It begins. It begins. You bow your heads, please. Lord, we, uh, 
as we think about a cross and a crucifixion, we think about the tent that we're wandering around in now on earth, that it is temporary. But Jesus got something so much better for us, permanent, being built in the heavens for us. And mind's ready. Every believer here in this room, his or hers, is ready. Jesus is going to come back for us. We're going to be together forever. We have hope because we have a heavenly building that awaits us. We've got a glorified body that awaits us. We're grateful, Father. We're, we're grateful. We thank you that you've shown us mercy. Pray we would show mercy to others. So, Lord, as we close out our service today, I simply pray for those of us that are believers, we would be challenged to think eternally, not focus on the tent so much, focus on glorifying Jesus in the tent. We'd have an eternal perspective on all we do. We'd share that treasure, knowing we have ministry, share that treasure that's within us, the gospel. Share it, Lord. Use us, the believers. If there's somebody seated here, Father, who's not a Christian, but this would be their moment. This would be their moment that they simply would say, I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life and save me. I want that hope where I'm not afraid to die. Thank you, Lord, for offering that to us. And for all of us, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do, um, I'm going to have the guys lead us in a moment, and Russ doesn't even know I'm going to do this, so I apologize in advance to him. We're going to do something a little different today. In a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and, and um, as they lead us in worship, just want you to reflect, and sing along, reflect. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to come down here and kneel, you can do that. I'm going to be right down here if you'd like me to pray with you. And Russ and Rhett, I know we're here. Chad, I think, is here somewhere. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll be here. And then we're going to close out service a little differently today, and uh, we'll do that in a few moments. So if you would, stand with us as they lead us.
we'll let you remain standing. Go ahead and pull the lights up. I'll tell you a couple of things. You, thank you. That help. I can see now. One of the things we're going to do, I, I want to do is God kind of has convicted me and led me to, uh, I want to start closing out the service a little differently and just uh, not necessarily going to do anything today, but uh, there's some things he's put on my heart going forward. So let me just remind you of a couple of things. We're not going to be making a lot of announcements. So number one, we scroll announcements out there. They're going to be in the bulletin. You can go to the website. We're going to be out there if you've got things you want to know about. But you're going to have to pay attention to what's going on. We won't announce some things, but not everything. So it, we're gonna, we're, one of the things we're going to do as a result of our ISERV uh, ministry fair and some other stuff is we're really going to start using the Welcome Center as a place where you can go and get information. Like these cards are still going to be there. If you're interested in any of these areas, you just fill out the card legibly, legibly, and uh, circle what you're interested in, and we're going to pass it on to the person in charge so they can get in touch with you and let you know what's going on. For example, if you express interest in the setup team, then that will be given to Tony, whose little girl was baptized today, that kind of thing. And some of you have already done that, and Tony will be getting in touch with you in all the different areas. And... Also, if you're visiting with us, we're going to have stuff that, that'll be a place for you to go and get information. Um, if all of you, the connect cards you get when you come in, if you've got prayer request changes, please fill that out and then uh, drop it on your way out so we can have that. I pray over those. Russ does. I pass them on to, to people at Bartlett and put them on our prayer list. We've got a new prayer ministry that Dan Watts is going to lead, and uh, he's already started doing some stuff with that. So... A lot of different things are going to be going on. Rather than having someone down there making announcements, we're going to I'm going to close it out some different ways as the Lord leads me. So, the last thing I'll say to you before we pray: you notice these incredibly beautiful black boxes that are at the door as you leave. If this is your church home, not if you're a visitor, if this is your church home, please. We do not take up the offering, as you can see, during our worship service. But it is very much an act of worship, whether you give online or you put it in that black box on your way out, or as I put mine in there today on the way in. It's here for you to give in obedience to God. I love you guys. It's an honor for me to stand before you and open the Word of God and, and to pastor. I, uh, I love what I do. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God, that you are not just the God, you are our God, our Father. I pray, Lord, even as we leave to go out to begin another week, even today, tomorrow, and all that we do, we would constantly remember the resurrected life, the hope, the home we have in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.